Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, welcome back and thank you again, Siegfried and Jensen, for your sponsorship. I can't thank you enough for believing in me. This is going to be so amazing. So I have so much gratitude and love in my heart right now. And it's amazing when you do good things, good things happen. I also like to thank our other sponsor, Veracity Networks. Again, thank you for believing in me. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in week after week. It just It's amazing how this is growing. And we've just had some amazing guests on, and it's just been fantastic to see people get vulnerable. We're saving lives. I've had people reach out saying, hey, you know, I listened to this podcast and I decided not to end my life. And, you know, I'm just excited because today is going to be one of those really special days. We have an amazing guest. Her name is Tessa Stuckey. Tessa, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. So a little, a uh, little bit about uh, Tessa. She's the author of the book for the sake of our youth. That uh, you know, she shares what she's learned about today's youth and the struggles they face in our current culture. Through her work, Tessa has become well versed in depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts in young people. And she believes that suicide, suicidal ideation among children, is on the rise, and it's become a big cultural storm. And I can't wait to get your perspective on that, Tessa. She was raised by two psychologists, which is going to be interesting to talk about. Um, <laughs> she has a deep interest in uh, human interaction and genuine relationships, and she's now a therapist herself. Um, you know, on, on Instagram, she calls herself the mom therapist, and she really uh, goes out of her way to help parents and teens figure this out and to help them, w- whether it's depression, anxiety, or suicidal ideations. Um, she's married to her husband, Joseph. She has four children. Um, she coaches, she, uh, coaches parents and teens. She has her own podcast called for the sake of our youth. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, but I want to say this, her, her goal is to save lives and bring awareness around, um, this cultural storm that we find ourselves in. And so I'm so excited to, for our listeners to hear all of this. So thank you for being here, Tessa. And why don't we start You're, you're currently in, is it Houston, Texas? Is that where you're at? Yeah, I live just north of Houston. So. Right on. Well, why don't you mm-hmm. tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your you know, childhood and, and being raised by two psychologists? <laughs> <laughs> I know people always have an interesting reaction when they hear that. Um, so I was born and raised in a town called The Woodlands, which is north of Houston, is okay. which I, where I live now with my kids and my husband. Um, and uh, so being raised by two, psych- I hated it. I hated every <laughs> second. <laughs> I felt like we were doing family therapy support group. Oh yeah. Um, I felt like I was being analyzed constantly. Um, I happened to be the black sheep of the family. I'm, I'm okay. sandwiched between very two good doers and stray <laughs> students. And I'm the uh, gregarious, vivacious, um, I like to say I'm more fun, but you know, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one who didn't take school as seriously, but um, it, it was an interesting upbringing. But I think that what I got out of it was um, the ability to be comfortable with emotions and the okay. ability to hear about other people's struggles and let others be vulnerable. And I don't, I never have felt uncomfortable sitting in that space. 
And so as much as I didn't want to be like my parents, I ended up finding, um, being pulled to go back to school and get my master's in counseling. And so now I actually work with my parents and, um, full circle. Right. And yeah, um, really. So it's been an interesting, I would say it's an interesting upbringing, but there's been a lot of good that's come from it. Yeah, I'm sure you're asked often, hey, how does that make you feel, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says that, right? And and my dad really would say that all the time. Like, how yeah. is that for you, Tessa? And how does that make you feel? And we would, we, we'd sit on the couches while my dad would sit in a chair and he would, you know, try to analyze us. And I remember, you know, one of the powerful things about therapy and, and really a good technique for parents with their teenagers is to simply validate the emotions that you're hearing the child or the teenager say. And I'll never forget my dad found out, you know, caught me sneaking out and (laughs) getting into a little bit of trouble in high school. And I was very remorseful and felt really horrible about it, probably because I got caught. But um, he (laughs) said, you know, that must have been really scary for you. And it really seems like you've learned a lot from this experience and da, da, da. and I remember thinking like yeah okay I'm not gonna get in trouble because he right. gets it he gets me and then you know he's like I gotta go have a talk with your mom and you know an hour later they come back to tell me I'm grounded for two months <laughs> right. and I was just like totally taken aback so um yeah. it was kind of like that I think my dad more my dad than my mom he was um really good at being a therapist and then taking that head off and being a dad, oh, my cool. mom, she never did. She never switched roles. She was just mom all the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You know, so tell us what, you know, you, you said as a child, you were the kind of the black sheep, you know, but that can actually be a, a really good thing, obviously, because yeah. look what you're doing now. But uh, yeah. as a kid, what were some of maybe the, some of the challenges you faced just as a kid and what you, what did you struggle with? I really struggled with school. So I was very, like I said, I was very outgoing and social and my priorities were socializing. Um, I really, I've grown up (laughs) even to this day, like my biggest priority is I want to be kind hearted and I want people to see me that way. And so when I was a little girl, I didn't understand what that looked like. I just remember, I want people to like me. And so I would go out of my way for other people and try to be friendly with everyone. And that definitely to me meant not paying attention in school, in class, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. and uh, my parents were very academically um, uh, charged and they mm-hmm. really pushed that on all of us. Uh, there's four of us. So they pushed that on all four of us. And I was the one that just didn't want to go that route. I mean, I ended up doing okay. Cause I sure. did okay enough to get into college and then good enough to get, to go on to grad school. But, um, you know, it was hard because I didn't relate to them a lot when, when at family dinners and stuff, my sister would be bragging about, you know, yeah. a spelling test that she aced and she's yeah. two years younger than me. And I'd be like, I don't know how to spell that word. And, you know, the whole family just <laughs> yeah. thought I was doomed basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, there's been, you know, social struggles too through the years, dating stuff, and um, it's caused, it caused some problems growing up, but nothing that other people don't go through. And um, I only have gotten stronger through it and have built um, a way to make those struggles productive and turn it around. And, you know, it's a good thing. I like to talk to people because that's what I do now for a profession. Yeah. That's what you do for a living. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. When did you, you know, 
I mean, did you know you want, when did you, I guess I should ask, when did you realize you wanted to be a therapist and, yeah, and go down that path? So I always knew I wanted to be a helper. I remember okay. maybe that was my way of trying to get people to like me, but I remember in elementary school, people would gravitate towards me and, you know, share mm -hmm. their secrets and I would keep their secrets for them or they would, you know, cry to me about something that happened with their teacher or their mom or dad. And that happened all my whole life, you know, high school, right. college, all of that. And, um, but I really did not want to be a therapist only because my parents were therapists and I didn't, I didn't want to have kids and treat them the way that I felt my parents were treating me. And, okay. um, so I became a teacher and I hated it. I was a teacher for two years and I, okay. I thought that that's how I was going to be a helper. And it just was not my cup of tea, but the school counselor that I worked at, I really connected with her okay. and I would go to her and she would help me through my struggles. And then I thought, I want to do what you're doing. And then I got married and pregnant, still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I'll never forget my dad sitting down and goes, Tessa, I know that you don't want to become me and mom, which they are wonderful people. So sure, I, I need know. to say yeah. that they're wonderful people. Um, <laughs> he was like, I know you've resisted therapy, you know, go being a therapist for so long, but now that you are becoming a mom and you really kind of have to figure this out. I was 24 at the time. He was like, what are your thoughts of becoming a therapist? And so he shared with me like what yeah. everything entails to become a therapist. And I remember yeah. thinking like, okay, I will get into grad school, but we'll just see what happens. And yeah. I'll never forget that first night class sitting there and just being overwhelmed with the feeling of this is what I'm meant to do. This really? is where okay. I'm supposed to be. And I got home that night and my husband said, finally, finally, I've known you were supposed to be a therapist all along. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you finally have gotten yourself there. <laughs> it's <laughs> it a great a long journey. <laughs> no, that's a great story. I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's, we knew all along you're going to do that. We just didn't want to push you. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. That's we awesome. wanted you to figure it out. And, and that's, that is, uh, you know, one of my things that, that does set me aside from my siblings is I'm very, very independent. I was that strong willed yeah. kid that if you told me to do something, I wasn't going to do it just because you told me to, I had to figure right. it out on my own. Um, and that has served me well at times and not so well another time. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that's a, that's a great story. I love it. And it's interesting how sometimes that purpose, like you said, you just felt this feeling like this is it. I mm -hmm. found my home. Mm -hmm. What a great uh, blessing for you to have yeah. that. Right. Cause I think a lot of people struggle finding that and, and maybe that's some of the things you're discovering with what you're doing and helping teens and parents and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you have a, a a niche that you're trying to do right now. You're really, you're trying to help parents become better parents and you're helping teens who are just struggling overall with depression, anxiety, and specifically having thoughts of suicide. Why, why that niche did, is this stuff that you struggled with as well at all when you were growing up? No, I definitely struggled with my relationship with my parents for sure. Right. Um, and I remember whenever I became a mom thinking, I don't want that hostility. Like why, why is it that there's so much hostility between a parent and a teen when the teen is needing that guidance more than ever? Um, so I, I guess you could say I started thinking that way whenever I became a mom. But what happened was I became a therapist and I, and I wanted to be there for the teens because it's such an emotionally confusing time of one's life. Um, and I was totally prepared to 
work with, you know, school stressors and relationship issues and yeah. fights with mom and dad and that sort of thing. Um, and I was, I was like 26 at the time. So I thought I was real cool and young and hip and like these teenagers will definitely feel comfortable with me. And it was in my hometown. So I would say things like, oh yeah, I graduated from the same school you are going to. And anyway, um, so they had all the same problems and the same issues, but their go-to coping skill was self-harm and suicidal thinking. And it just really threw me off because everything I, and I had known about suicide since I was little because of my parents and openly talking about mental health issues at the dinner table. So it, I was prepared to work with suicidal clients, um, but they weren't fitting anything, um, that I had studied that I'd known suicide to look like they weren't struggling with depression, anxiety. They weren't coming from a place of abuse or neglect or trauma And so at first I thought, okay, I need to peel back some layers. They're not telling me everything, but the more I tried, the more I realized, oh my gosh, I think this is a cultural issue. And so I ended up going on a whole research journey to understand what was going on in our world that would, and coincidentally, or I shouldn't say coincidentally, simultaneously at this time, six high school girls in my community had ended their life by suicide ranging from 14 to 17 and it really shook our our town oh Um, yeah and all these girls were just like the girls and the the boys coming to my office like good families caring interact they were athletic they had good grades like it was it was so bizarre and yeah not not the typical person that you would think would have suicidal thinking. So I, I was so fearful. Um, my oldest was four at the time. So I have four boys and they're all really close in age. So my oldest was four at the time. And I remember thinking, I cannot raise my kids in today's world without understanding what's going on and right. learning how to prevent this turmoil. And so I did. So that's what my book is all about is I found six contributing factors that are happening within our culture that's affecting our kids' mental health. And the biggest thing I want parents and what I work with parents to understand is it's not a mental illness issue anymore. It's a mental health issue. It's every single kid is exposed to these cultural contributors that can affect that way of thinking for them when they hit you know, 12, 13, those great hormonal years. So, yeah, right. um, okay. so yeah, but no, I never struggled with suicidal thinking or self-harm or anything like that. So I had to really quickly learn how to uh, work with suicidal and self-harm and all of that. And unfortunately it's, it's the norm. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. It really is on the rise. I mean, especially with social media, I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. And, Mm -hmm. and so you talked about these six contributing factors. Why don't we just get into that? And maybe, maybe you don't have to share maybe all six, or if you want to, you can as well, just depending on how much time you have with us today. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that and what, what maybe our listeners can learn from that. Yeah. So the, I'll share the main ones because there's some in there that are good to know, but they're not the most important. The most important ones are we live in a world where everything is immediate. Our kids are growing up wanting immediate gratification for everything. And that's our fault because we've handed them quick fixes by trying to shush them at the dinner table, by handing them our phones to watch Mickey Mouse. I know I'm guilty of that when mine were two years old. Right. Um, And so these smart devices are creating this facade that you can have your emotions taken care of or your problem coped 
by just getting on TikTok or watching a YouTube video or playing a game. And yeah. what that's, that's creating that false idea that you're actually processing and coping. And so um, what's happening is once kids, if they've grown up with a smart device, getting that immediate gratification, yeah. when they hit those hormonal years and they experience very big emotions that all of us experience at that age as well, yeah. The only difference is they're wanting an, a quick fix and they don't understand and their brain is not developed enough to tell them that it's a longer process, right? There's no quick fix for emotional distress. And yeah. so they're going to the thought of suicide. And the reason they're going to this thought of suicide is another contributing factor that I talk about, which is that it's a glorified option. It's being talked about more than right. ever. It's being showcased more than ever. It's in that Netflix show. Like it's, it's creating this fantasy that you will be better off if you do that. And um, with the lack of prefrontal cortex and, you know, that impulse control yeah, and wanting a quick fix, it's really easy for them to go there. Um, wow. I, I know. And that, then another, that's amazing. Well, let's stay on that just for one sec. Yeah, so yeah. what you, what you're saying there is that, I mean, it's amazing the influence of media or movies or like you said, that show on Netflix that mm -hmm. kind of was, you know, making it glorified. And, right. and I think I heard you in another interview when I was doing my research on you, where you said, it's almost like the, the person feels like, well, people look, look at how many people will come to my funeral and this yeah. many people might be sad or, and That's it's like what, they play uh, that in their head, right? Yeah. So they would come to my office and say those things to me. We wow. had a... a when, when those six girls had ended their life, a couple of my clients were friends with one okay. or two of them. And so, and one was the sister of one of them. And so I asked one of them, you know, how are you doing? What is that like for you? Like, this was one of your good friends. And she said things like, oh, well, I'm really happy for her because she was successful and this is what she wanted to do. And, you know, now that I think about it, like, I want to know how many people are going to come to my funeral and, um, I want a parking space dedicated to me at the school too. And it's yeah. that, wow. that need for recognition and it's glorified and romanticized. And the problem with that show, and I obviously, you know, what show I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I'm always careful when I bring up that show, because when I was writing my book, my publisher made me take out the title of the show right. for liability issues, sure, but sure. I don't know what it's like for a podcast, but um, most people know what show. I'm yeah. You can about. share it if you want, if you feel your old, yeah, you can share yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it's 13 reasons why, and it's all about a girl who ends her life. And then the whole season is about everyone figuring out how they contributed to her decision to end her life. And what's yeah. wrong with that show is it gives you that in other movies and shows is it gives sure. you a fantasy that you get to kind of stick around after you die and see everyone yeah. missing you and see people trying to figure out what went wrong and feel bad. And um, she kind of gets, you know, that vengeance feeling yeah, there. Right, and, yeah. and that's not realistic, right? And a lot of yeah. kids have a hard time understanding the finality of death. We just, um, we just lost an 11 year old about oh. a month ago. And, and an 11 year old cannot conceptualize cannot truly understand the finality of suicide. And so yeah. we're all shook up about that too. But, I'm sure. Wow. Um, yeah. That is, that's scary. So, um, and then was there another one you wanted to share of the contributing factors? So, 
Yeah. So my other big one that I talk about is, well, there's two more that, well, okay. you know, I could talk about all of them. Yeah, no, but... please. You're, you're good. No, I'd love to <laughs> so hear. Kind of, okay. So kind of going with that, that I want to see how many people will come to my funeral. So there's that attention seeking yeah. component, right? And that's been happening forever and ever and ever. Um, however, what's happening now is that we live in such a world where kids are not feeling important and they're not feeling valued. And that's what yeah. attention is. We all want attention right. to some degree. And it's about, it's, it's how we go about it. And what's happening is these kids are not feeling important. And we're living in a world where it's all me, me, me and egotistical and full of selfies that, yeah. that they are not feeling important or valued. And I think a lot of that also is the lack of purpose. They don't feel any yeah. sort of purpose outside of school. Um, and I think that um, parents are just as guilty as being addicted to their phones. And so For sure. you know, when they've got that phone in, in their kid's face, not paying attention and not as much time to spend time together and connect, um, they're not going to feel very important, which is my next contributing factor is that lack of personal connection. Yeah. Um, wow. And that comes from the phone really and truly yeah. in a world where we're all supposed to be so connected our, our society has never been so lonely and loneliness is creates some really poor decisions. <laughs> right. And, so, and is that, um, and is that the cultural storm that you reference? Is that what's going on here? Is that, yeah. So really all six contributing factors is that storm that I'm talking storm. about. Okay. Yeah. Um, because because we have not geared up for it. We don't have the right tools no. to, and it happened so quickly, right? Like it was like all of a sudden there's dark clouds above us and there's this huge storm happening and it's taking our kids and we had no idea that this would happen. Right. And so, um, and then the last one is pressure. Our kids are growing up in a world full of pressure and, um, oh no, that's not the last one. The other one is social media, which I know we're going to get into, but, yes. um, so it's, it's just this world of um, seeking or striving for perfectionism and that's mm. impossible. And right. um, a lot of that comes from social media and comparisons and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just not healthy right now for our kids' mental health on, on any level. And so, yeah. Yeah. That perfectionism. Uh, I hear that from a lot of clients I meet with on a daily basis as well. That, mm -hmm. that seems to be, really, really prevalent. And, and I think you, you hit it on the head where you said a lot of it's now coming from social media, which I really wanted to get into because I know you've done a lot of research and yeah. you talk a lot about that in your, in your videos and in your blog yeah. posts and things. So mm -hmm. let's tell us about your thoughts on that and why this is such a problem. And then maybe also what can we do to, to maybe, you know, slow that down with our own yeah. personal lives? Yeah. So with social media, um, everyone highlights the good stuff. So when you're scrolling right. through social media, um, it's very easy to get lost in that unrealistic comparison thinking, why, why aren't I taking these lavish trips? And why don't I have enough money to go yeah. do these things? And why doesn't my hair look like that? And why <laughs> can't my skin look like that? And, um, yeah. And it's, it's almost impossible not to think that way. And so what's, and that's for an adult. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you hand that to a 13 year old and, and it's really um, detrimental to their body image and their self image and their self worth. 
Mm-hmm. And they are, they're supposed to be developing that and being productive with that, but it's pushing them down. And so yeah. the unrealistic comparisons are probably one of the worst things about social media today. And then also screen addiction. Screen addiction is very real. And I know a lot of adults don't want to hear that, but it is literally the same thing as cocaine. It is doing yeah. the same thing to your brain. It's doing a big dopamine drop on your brain. And yeah. they did a study where they compared a seven-year-old while he was on his iPad with someone, an adult who was high on cocaine and the brain scans looked almost identical. Wow. So, I mean, that's, I mean, oh my gosh, right? Like yeah. why would we be handing our kids these things if it's treating their brain the same as a, an addictive drug? So screen addiction is very real and it's creating this, this life of um, less sleep, which we all know when we don't sleep, we get grumpy. And so, <laughs> For you know, sure, right? but yeah. So then if we're grumpy, then, you know, we're kind of spreading some hurt and it just becomes this cycle of hurt in our culture, in our society. And um, speaking of hurt, cyberbullying is a very real thing that happens on yeah. social media and it comes in all sorts of forms. And so that's where it can get kind of tricky is understanding um, is this cyberbullying? Am I being a cyberbully right now? Um, right. that's really, I think it can get tricky with that sort of thing. And, um, there's a lot, a lot of mean people. Um, and I don't yeah. like to say the word mean. I like to say hurt. Cause I think that anyone who yeah. treats others in a mean way, they're really the ones hurting themselves. And so, there's a lot of hurt people behind a screen and that is the only place they feel comfortable spreading that hurt. And, um, and so it just creates this, this society of just broken people. Wow, man. And yeah, you, I mean, when you call it a cultural storm, it really kind of, I mean, that's a good way to say it. And it's in, and it is kind of scary, you know, you see these, you know, I was in the restaurant the other day and, you know, you're, you're in the waiting room there and everyone's on their phone. You you just look around and everyone's just, and I've heard it once said like this, we used to look up for inspiration. Now we look down. Now we look down. And 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 are we really getting inspired by what we're looking down at? You know, exactly. Um, So what I, my biggest thing for social media is I'm not against social media. I have social media, obviously, but if you're going to get on any sort of social media platform, and that includes Pinterest, um, YouTube, all of that, if you're going to get on without a purpose, I say, um, without seeking benefit or being productive, then you're going to just mindlessly scroll and you will 100% without a doubt, put your phone down feeling not inspired, not lifted up probably even worse because if anything you just wasted three hours and you're going to feel that if there wasn't any sort of benefit or productivity from that or you could feel worse from what you saw and something that might have triggered yeah boy that's a good point and i you know and there's been times where i've been guilty of that i i I just gonna admit it i mean i i get guilty of it too and i've i've tried to put up some certain boundaries with myself where i have the apps off my phone and things like that but I wanted to ask you, like what, I know you teach a lot of parents and kids around all of this. What are some of the things that we could do to be better around social media? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I hate TikTok. 
<laughs> I think I'm not TikTok, on that, so thank you. Okay, I, good, good. You won't job. be mad at me. I think TikTok is um, everything that I just described. All my cultural contributors, all wrapped up in one little app that is yeah. really hurting our kids. Um, it is such an addictive app. Um, so that's my first uh, advice: is for anyone who has TikTok or their child has TikTok to not have TikTok anymore. Yeah. Um, and then like you that. can set screen time. Uh, limits from your phone settings so that it lets you know like hey you've been on here for 30 minutes already and that can kind of wake you up to it Um, okay and then having those check-ins with yourself okay why am I getting on Facebook right now am I just getting it on because I'm bored or am I getting on there to reach out to my aunt Sarah in New Jersey um right boredom especially for kids boredom is a really good thing because it teaches them to be creative and how to cope and it builds resilience. And that's what we need in our kids is to build resilience. So they're not seeking that immediate fix. Right. Right. Um, so anytime that your kid is bored or experiencing emotional distress, the worst thing you can do is hand them a smart device. Wow, you want them to it. kind of struggle through that a little bit. Now as adults, boredom, boredom stinks, you know, being bored is not fun. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, but as adults, one, we want to model healthy behavior for our kids. But two, it, I encourage adults all the time to find something else other than your screen to get through that boredom, whether it's reading a book or, you know, sometimes with your screen, you're reading an article rather than getting right. on YouTube. Right. And sure, that's sure. OK. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of like my number or I was going to say number one tip, but I already said that with TikTok. My <laughs> number one and a half tip is if there's boredom or emotional distress, you cannot use your phone to be your coping skill because it's not right. going to actually do anything as far as getting through that. Okay. So I, I love what you said just a minute ago, and I, I want to make sure the listeners caught this. You okay. said the worst thing we can do when a kid's distressed is hand them a phone because it doesn't build resilience. That was, sorry, the reason why the pause is I was writing that down. No, and yeah, just, yeah. I love that. And yeah. so, so really what you're saying is we, we need to learn how to build resilience in our kids and it's not handing them the phone. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I love that. My two, my two, num- I'm going to say number one again, my two big <laughs> goals when I work with teenagers, when I work with preteens, when I work with parents, and when I go and speak publicly, is we have to teach our kids how to build resilience and we have to teach them how to connect with others face-to-face. So those two things are the most important. And that means, unfortunately, this is the hard part, that means sitting in the discomfort of letting our children struggle. Wow. So as a parent, it's, stinks to watch our kids struggle and hurt and cry and feel you can see them feeling that discomfort or feeling anxious. Um, but we are doing them a big disservice if we just try and fix that problem for them. It's our job to sit back and we feel uncomfortable Yeah. so that they can get through it. And a couple things happen. One is you'd be surprised how more resilient they are than you think. Two, they're building even more emotional maturity emotional strength and resilience, but three, you're letting them know, I trust you. And I know that you are strong enough to get through this. And that helps them build the confidence needed to get through future life stressors and hardships that are headed their way. 
Wow, I love that. Build trust um, at the same time through all of this process, right? So my next question would be then, you know, how do you, you personally, I want, how does Tessa build resilience? What do you do? What does your day look like? How do you keep yourself connected? So I, I feel like for generations that have been born before 95, before 2000, we had to learn how to build resilience. We had to experience being bored. We had to um, go through hardships and didn't have an easy fix. So I think that naturally, organically throughout my upbringing, I had to build a certain amount of resilience and that continued on into my adult years. Um, but I love to journal. I'm a big journaler and I do it every morning. I'm really big on routines. So I have a a morning routine that I stick to because that's how I cope. And I try to set the tone for my day. And then I, then I'm big on my nighttime routine too, which is where I focus more on practicing gratitude and sleep. I put a lot of effort into making sure I'm going to get good sleep tonight. So, um, especially being a mom of four, right? uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, building resilience is something that is a process. And I think that some people, again, we live in a culture where everything is immediate. And so they think that they're going to try something and it should just start working. And the truth of the matter is, is if you really want to build that emotional strength, and that resilience, you have to do things every single day. And that means, you know, positive affirmations, finding those peaceful moments that, that you really are drawn to. For me, it's journaling and coffee in the morning. (laughs) For some people, it's yoga, meditation, music, taking a walk, you know, listening to a wonderful podcast like this one. Like this one. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) everyone is different, obviously, but being um, intentional about it is really important. And I talk to my clients about something that I call emotional hygiene, Mm. um, which is just my version of what a lot of other people call self-care. But I think self-care is is used a lot without true understanding of what self-care can look like for someone. And what I work with my clients with emotional hygiene is I break it down into those different layers and really, really dig deep as to what do you need for your physical self-care needs? What do you need for your social self-care needs? Like what about your emotional self-care needs? And then finally your spiritual self-care needs. And without breaking that down and coming up with some sort of plan, we're just a bunch of people walking, you know, around, <laughs> right. you know, addicted to our phones and going through the motions. And all of a sudden it's been eight hours and we haven't done anything today, you know, so you do have to be intentional about it. Absolutely. Well, I love that. And I love the morning routine and the nightly routine. I'm a big morning routine guy as well. Um, I really am a believer. If you win the first hour of the day, you're going to win the yeah. day. It puts yeah. you, puts you right where yeah. you should be. And yeah. I love that, you know, yeah. um, so you wrote this book. Um, how how is the book being received? And is is was the sole purpose of this book just to build awareness and then again help sell, save someone's life? I mean, that's a big thing. But yeah, so um, yeah, I've gotten really good feedback on it. I think the books are selling really well. This is my first book, so I have nothing to compare it to. Right. I do know that self help parenting books are not usually well received. So I'm not, I'm not like shocked that I'm not a New York right. Times bestseller. Um, but yeah, it's, 
I really, I could not and cannot stay quiet about the things that I'm hearing in my office. I'm yeah. this great messenger for teenagers, but also for parents and I'm yeah. that middleman. And I can't stay quiet about it. And so I decided what happened was I sat down to write an article. I had been approached by our local newspaper about okay. suicide and that. And I sat down to write an article and I just kept writing. I could not <laughs> stop. And I was wow. like, oh, I think this might be a couple of articles. And then I was like, I think this might be a book. And um, so the book is just my written form of getting this information out there. What I believe every single parent, no matter how old your child is, especially if you have a young, young child. Um, I believe every parent can and grandparent can benefit from reading my book. No, yeah, it sounds like a great book. And I, 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 I've ordered your book. I've read experts, <laughs> excerpts from your book as well. And it was supposed to be here today, but it didn't quite get here. But uh, I did order it. So I'm supporting you there. Good. I just want you Good, to know thank that. You. <laughs> but uh, so among that, I mean, you also do public speaking and things like yeah. that. And do yeah. you have anything coming up? Uh, I know COVID kind of slowed things down on the public speaking end of things, yes, but they really do you have did. anything coming up in that area? I do, but only locally right now. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a couple church presentations tomorrow. Right I'm speaking to the rotary of my um, town and nice. a couple of mom groups. I'm, I get invited to a lot of mom groups. Um, Very cool. And I just recently joined a nonprofit called the Looking Up Foundation. It's still under construction. Um, we I don't even think we have a website yet, but it's it's a wonderful team of people that hold the same passions, and um, we are planning to go nationwide with uh, presentations and speaking engagements. So yeah, but I speak to schools parents, churches, yeah. all sorts of events. And then recently I've been asked to join a lot of like girls nights and mom nights and right. that sort of thing. So, wow. Well, you're very well spoken and I, I can see why they would want you there. Not only that, you're very knowledgeable. You. No, you're very knowledgeable and I can feel your passion. And you, and you mentioned it earlier that, you know, lack of purpose in a lot of our lives, it leads to feeling depressed and down. And then when, yeah. when we throw in all those six contributing factors that you talked about, mm -hmm. I mean, you can see why people are really suffering right now. And it's so yeah. great to have someone like you who's out there being a light to these people saying, hey, you know, I want to show you the way I'll walk the walk yeah. with you. And I, yeah. I know you can do this kind of thing. And so I love that you're doing all this amazing Thank stuff. You. Yeah. Thank you. Well, here's a, here's a question kind of out of left field, but what do you love okay. most about you? That is a good question. Um, what do I love most about me? I love my energy. I love mm -hmm. that I'm up for a new venture all the time and not necessarily like going completely off my career or anything or like going and getting a tattoo. I'm more like, <laughs> okay, I'm open to what life um, has in store for me. I believe that everything happens for a reason and that I'm meant to be here right now talking to you and that yeah. like this is how it was supposed to be. And so I love the idea of knowing that there's more on the horizon. Um, yeah. And and I like that, not always, but I try to have a positive mindset with most things. And it sure. helps having that belief that everything happens for a reason in order to achieve that positive mindset. So that when something unexpected happens, it's stressful. I can kind of reframe my mindset. Um, right. But yeah, I like that. And I like my hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, you do have beautiful hair. So yeah, I can, see why, you, I can see why you do. <laughs> well, hey, no, you're being honest. I love it. <laughs> um, another question I have for you is if there's someone listening to you right now and they're tuned into this and they're struggling and they find themselves kind of in a, you know, dark, dark space in their life. And you've already, you've already shared some amazing advice and stuff, but if you could talk to that one person right now, who's like, I'm not, I don't know what to do in this moment. What would you tell them? Um, I would want you to try to practice self-awareness and with that self-awareness, checking in with yourself, what do I need today to feel okay? Mm. Not strive for happiness because mm -hmm happiness is a state is an emotion not a state of being it's not this place that we get to and lock the keys and never go back to the place of darkness so shooting for how can I be okay how can I be comfortable how can I be content today can be your first step to shoot for that so that you can get through to the next day and once you do he hit that point of feeling okay and comfortable you can start making plans and practice that self-awareness more often so that you understand, okay, what is, what is it in my life that's affecting my moods and my emotional state? Who am I spending my time with? Yeah. What am I doing with my time? And where can I make some adjustments so that I start to feel a little bit better on a daily basis? Okay. I love that. Great advice. I think that's wonderful. And you know, I, I can incorporate that in my own life. <laughs> yeah, I, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, if someone wants to reach out to you and they want to, you know, follow you on social media or get to, buy, you know, buy your book or learn mm -hmm. more about what you do or when your next speaking event might be, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm very active on Instagram. Um, and you said earlier in the, in the episode, it's the mom therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can always go to my website, which is tessastuffy.com. That's with an EY. And there you'll find all the information with speaking events and social media and that sort of thing. Um, and then my book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Great. That's I ordered. I just so listeners. So, you know, I ordered her book off of her website. It's really easy. I mean, you just click on the book tab and it takes you right there. And uh, I, I encourage anyone, especially parents, if you are trying to be a better parent and you've got kids, this book is a must read. Please check it out. Um, I, I can't thank you enough, Tessa, for taking some time oh, out of your you. business schedule. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, it's so good to meet you. And I love what you're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan from a distance here, just so you know. <laughs> thank you. And if there's anything I can do to help you know, per, help you pursue and get some, you know, the word out. If you want to be back on the show down the road, and yeah, I'd, love to. I'd love to have you back on. Sure. And, yeah. But thank you for just being you and making this world a better place and helping people who are struggling. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, I told you it was going to be another amazing guest, Tessa Stuckey. Please reach out to her and please, you know, ask her a question. And if you need any advice about being better parent, or if you're a teen struggling, reach out to her. And I know that she will uh, respond and help you out. And thank you for tuning in. And again, thanks to our sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen and Veracity Networks. I love you guys. And again, Tessa, you are the best and I love your energy and passion. And this was a wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you.